Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, what's up, Liquid Church? How y'all doing today? I want to say what's up to all of our campuses that are watching with us right now. As all of you also on Church Online, great to have you today. As we are on our second installment of RTD, Religiously Transmitted Diseases. So if you hang out with church long enough, you may want to get one of these. So we're trying to find ways that we can avoid them. Uh, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. This has been a phenomenal series. Just really kind of just getting at some of the things that, that maybe make people hate church and maybe make things really difficult for those of us who are Christians to follow Christ. And there's something about disease that really kind of makes us stand up and take notice. If you've watched the news at all over the past couple weeks, you've probably seen something about the Zika virus. Have any of you seen this thing? Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. The Zika virus is spreading like wildfire throughout South America, Central America. It's going to the Caribbean. And really, it's been linked to microcephaly, which is really causing babies to be born with, with undersized heads, small brains, really a terrible, terrible thing. And what's really difficult is actually health workers in those parts of the world are actually telling women, don't get pregnant because this thing is such a pandemic. It's doing all sorts of damage. And the disease is spread by mosquitoes really going from person to person, uh, infecting them as they go along. And here's what's really insidious about Zika, is you can have Zika and not know it. Very few symptoms. And that's what's so dangerous about this virus, is you could have it, you could be a carrier and not even realize it. And, you know, it's the same with religiously transmitted diseases, is we can have them and may not even realize that we have them or that we're spreading them to other people. In fact, sometimes RTDs can be celebrated by folks. They're thinking this is a great thing when really it's a sign of spiritual stagnation. And one example that we're going to look at today is what I call the performance pathogen. The performance pathogen. Really, the performance pathogen works like this. It really highlights and boosts the parts of ourselves that we, you know, our gifts, our intelligence, our talents, our possessions, how beautiful we are, right? But really, it downplays and kind of undersells the parts about us that aren't as desirable, that aren't as sexy, that aren't as cool. We kind of, kind of hide those things. And really, the idea is we want to perform well. And really, it kind of gets into the spiritual side when we say, you know what, if I perform well before God, if I do good things, and if I think the right things and all these things, then God will like me. and He'll accept me. But then if I don't, well, he won't. You know, I saw this really clearly in a leader I once knew, where he was a phenomenal preacher, great leader, knew the right things to say both on the stage and then off the stage. But when you really got to know him, you know, he wanted to challenge you to kind of grow in your faith, which was great. But when you really kind of got to know him, it was kind of interesting because it seems like he would tell you one thing and then tell someone else the exact opposite thing. And you're like, it's kind of weird. And then you realize he really wanted other people's acceptance, and he wanted other people to like him, and, and so that ended up being something that really kind of was a negative in his leadership, because he couldn't really lead, because he was looking for that sense of, of belonging. And in many ways, I think many of us can fall into that a little bit, where we kind of want people to like us, to accept us, and, and so we perform for them. We want to earn our keep with them, and, and what happens is we start kind of living by the time clock. And if you remember the time clock, the punch clock, anyone ever use these? A couple of you did. So I used to work at the dish room in college. And I remember when I would go to the dish room, I would get my punch card here. And then what I would do is I'd go to the machine and I would punch in for work, you know, and I would perform the tasks at the dish room. So I would do things like, you know, wash dishes, uh, put them away, scrape off all the gross food. If it was something was good, I might eat something. But, you know, that's just between us. Don't tell anybody, all right? It's our secret. Um, 
So, but then when I was done with work, what I would do is I would punch out, and I would punch out, and, and then at the end of the week, I'd go to my boss and say, hey, hey this is, these are my hours. Give me my money, you know, and uh, I'd get paid, and things would go great, and it's great when you work, and that's kind of the mentality, but it's really awful in a spiritual sense, because sometimes we can have this sense where we can go to God and say, you know, God, here's my punch card, you know, okay, I, I read my Bible and prayed every day this week. I'm doing really good, God. Or, you know, I went to my life group, and I know I was supposed to do that. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I even tithe. Look at that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm punching in. I'm tithing. And also, you know, I have a compassion child. I sponsor kids overseas. And then at the end of our lives, or maybe whatever streak we're on where we're doing well with God, we say, all right, God, here it is. Give me eternity. Give me health. Give me wealth. Give me the stuff that I want because I'm, I'm performing. But, but here's the deal. It doesn't work like that in the spiritual realm. It doesn't work like that with God. Our good deeds aren't a payment that we give to him in order to get something back. That's the performance pathogen. Where we start boosting all of our, our good, but we kind of ignore and neglect the stuff that's not so great. And that's the stuff that Jesus wants to go after. He's the ultimate cure for these RTDs. And so we're going to look at a passage right now in Matthew chapter 20. It's really going to go after this. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. We'll be looking at the first 16 verses. And here's something really important to remember. Pastor Tim said this last week. Is Jesus never came to, get, to start a new religion. Jesus came to connect you to God. And oftentimes these, these RTDs, like the performance pathogen, they come out of these religious ideals when really we need to reconnect with God. So we need to go to the scriptures to kind of give us the right perspective on these. So in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 1, it says this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So Jesus would teach in these parables or these stories. And the idea was these stories would kind of go right to the heart and kind of bypass, you know, kind of like some of, the, some of our cynical thinking here. So he tells this story where the master is supposed to symbolize God, the vineyard symbolizes the kingdom, and the laborers are, are Christ followers that, that kind of want to be part of the work of God. So it says this in the next verse here. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So I kind of want to break this down a little bit. A denarius, probably about $75, like a day's worth of work. And at the time, harvest time is like the busiest time on the calendar. People are going nuts trying to gather in all that they can before it goes bad. And so that's what's going on here. Uh, this master is looking for guys to kind of come into the vineyard, get all these grapes before they go bad, before harvest season ends. And so he's desperate for, for workers. Goes on and says this. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go to the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. So here's what's going on. There were some guys early in the morning, probably around 6 a.m., he gave them a card, and they punched in, and they're getting to work. Three hours later, uh, I think the third hour, they have at 9 o'clock a.m., they get the next group. They come in, they punch in as well. Then, three hours later, the 12 o'clock group comes in. They're punching in. Another three hours, the master's looking for more people. They've got more work to do. And he finds some more guys at 3 o'clock. And you think, okay, that's a pretty decent amount of, of people they are working. Well, then we see this. Next verse, it says this. At about the 11th hour, so it's like 5 o'clock, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So something interesting here, these folks are kind of just standing around all day. Why are they just standing around? Why aren't they working someplace? And the answer is, these guys aren't the cream of the crop. They're kind of the bottom of the barrel. 
These are the folks that maybe they just woke up, they just got out of bed, they figured they probably should do something productive for the day. So they're kind of the lazy ones, not your, the, not your typical go-getters. And then the next group is probably those that just simply weren't able to help. They, they were either disabled or had some sort of issues where they couldn't work. And so they're at this point where they, they, need, to, uh, you know, they need to work, and they know they're not, probably not going to get a lot, maybe one-twelfth of the normal work day, so probably eight bucks. That's like minimum wage in New Jersey. And so they end up doing that. And they think, okay, this is it. This is what's going on here. And now here comes the twist in the next verse here. Like when Jesus tells a parable, there's always a little bit of a twist. So it says this in verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last and up to the first. And when those hired at about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. So check it, these guys came at around 11 o'clock, probably worked for maybe an hour, and they're getting the same amount as the guys that came, like, at 6 a.m. You're thinking, is this a clerical error? Like, what's going on here? And I'm sure if you're one of those guys that came at the 11th hour, and you're like, oh, they must have made a mistake. You're like, I'm walking out of here before they realize it, right? And that's what's going on here. But, you know, there's something that's interesting. The master is generous with his money. Let's see how this plays out with the rest of the workers. Next verse says this. Now, when those hired first came, the guys at 6 a.m., they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. You know, we hear this story, and it's easier for us to kind of relate to the workers, right? You're like, wait, what's going on here? Someone's got to call the union, right? That's why the union's there. They got to make this right or call the Better Business Bureaus. We got to boycott this guy. This is completely inappropriate. This is not how you do business, right? This would never fly in, the, in our world today. And what Jesus is doing, he's making a contrast between how the kingdom of the world runs versus the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of the world, you get equal pay for equal work. I mean, how many of you have ever heard of merit pay, right? You basically get what you pay for or what you do. You, you get, a, you get um, paid for what, for what that is. But in the kingdom of God, it doesn't operate on that same principle. It operates on this radical principle that we do or that we understand called, and here it is, grace. Grace, which is the unmerited, amazing, radical generosity, the favor and the blessing that God pours out on us. We can never earn it. But that is the, what is the kind of the great kind of clash here between the two kingdoms. On one hand, the kingdom of the world is we worked and get what we deserve. Grace is we don't get what we deserve, but we get God's grace and mercy. Because you see, you and I have kind of been, been living in a culture which really is suffering from a pathogenic performance pandemic. Try saying that three times fast, right? Pathogenic performance pandemic, you know? And that's kind of the world that we live in because part of us is we all long to belong, right? We all want to be part of a group, whether it's a family or a tribe. And often we're kind of taught that we need to perform to belong, or don't we? Like, think about this. You know, when you were a kid and, and your parents, you know, said, if you do these chores, right, you'd get a what? An allowance, right? Exactly. Or, you know, if you were studying and going to the library and meeting, getting tutors, you would hopefully in the next text get a good 
great. Yeah, you get an A. Or, you know, some guys, you know, you go on the date with the girl, and you pay for the date, and you open the door. Then you're going to get a what? A kiss, hopefully. Or slapped in the face, as most of us would probably experience, right? But that's this kind of idea is we get what we deserve. We get what we earn. And that's kind of like this idea of, you know, we perform to belong idea. But what happens is that kind of creates this relentless sense of ranking. We're always kind of ranking who's doing better and who's doing worse, who's doing more and who's doing less. And again, that's part of the fabric of our culture, right? You get what you pay for. What goes around comes around. The early bird gets the worm. And, you know, I remember talking to a friend of mine who was living in New York City and stressing out because she had to get her two-year-old ready for an interview into preschool. An admissions interview into preschool. Crazy, right? And here's the thinking. It's, okay, my my kid's got to perform well at two so that he can perform well and get into the right preschool, into the right elementary school, into the right grammar school, middle school, high school, because that's the difference between getting into NYU or KFC. And so we got to work hard for that. So they can get a good, they get a good education and be successful and not live in my basement. That's kind of the thinking that goes with that. And in many ways, you know, it can kind of create this sense of ranking. Am I doing better than this person or that person? In fact, we reinforce this. Did you know the Ford Motor Company actually has a ranking system for their employees from 1 to 27? One is an entry-level employee, like a secretary or, or someone first starting. 27 is the chairman of the board. And each entry, at each level, there's different perks. For instance, at level 9, you actually get to park inside, in inside parking spot. So your car is safe from the elements and bird poop, so that's a great thing to have. Level 13 is you get a cubicle. Level 16 is the window. You go from the cubicle to the window. Those are some of the perks of moving up, and it goes on and on and on like that. But that's similar to our vineyard folks. So think about it. They've lived in a culture where it's all about merit. It's all about ranking systems and and doing better or worse. And then all of a sudden, all that's taken away. And and this idea of of how do you motivate workers and compensation, all that stuff is thrown out the door. And in some ways, it's so counterculture and counterintuitive. In fact, the late Steve Jobs used to used to say hey, this. He said his job was to hire all the A-plus players. He would hire the A-plus players and make sure there were no B or C players to distract them so that the Apple could be one of the greatest companies and greatest brands in the world. So this makes economic sense. It makes business sense. But when we try to apply the same type of thinking and same type of, uh, of uh, behavior into our spirituality, what happens is it could actually ends up killing our soul. Because it kind of creates this comparison mentality with those around us. Like, I remember when I first became a believer. And I was, you know, kind of young in my faith, still learning things. And I would think, okay, I'm reading my Bible today. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm coming to youth group every week. I must be doing really well. And I'd be like, look really proud of that, about what the stuff was in my card. But then I'd look at what my friend Greg was doing. And Greg had just gotten back from a mission trip, you know. He, he'd gone on a mission trip overseas even. And he wasn't just going to youth group, he was teaching at youth group, right? He was giving his testimony, right? And I'm just going, and I'm looking at his card, I'm looking at my card, I'm thinking, there's, there's just no way I, could, I can keep up, with, keep up with that. And that's kind of what happens when we kind of bring this performance pathogen into our spiritual life. We start comparing ourselves to other believers. We start comparing our, our worst to other people's best because it's all about the externals. And that's the thing about the performance pathogen is, is sometimes we can perform so well that maybe we can fool other people, we can fool ourselves, but we wonder, you know, does God really love me? Because he sees all the, all the garbage stuff in my life. He sees all the junk and the mess. Is he loving my, my performance? Or is he actually loving me because we're in relationship. And see, with the performance pathogen, it's, it's hard to know that. 
because we've been so wired in this kingdom of the world thinking that I get what I deserve and so I work hard for it. But you see, you know, it's this idea of fairness. But, the king, but see, with the kingdom of God running on grace, grace is not fair. Grace is not fair. It doesn't run on that system of merit. Let's go back to the stories of the, of the workers in the vineyard. It says this, And on receiving it, they what? Grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them what? Equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching sun. Right? I mean, this would be us, right? We can, we can relate to that. You know, that's not fair. I punched in at 6 a.m. I've been working for 12, 13 hours in the hot sun, nonstop. I skipped my coffee break and my lunch break. Why? Because I wanted to get the most out of this. And these guys, these guys barely did anything. They just stood around. And you're paying them the same? It's not fair. And you and I would be completely justified in saying that and feeling that. But, you know, when we look a little bit deeper at this passage, there's a couple things that we notice here. One is it says that they grumbled. And they didn't just grumble at the time of their paycheck. They grumbled all day long. They just complained and they complained. And who knows all the things they complained about. Maybe they complained about the working conditions. They complained about the master. They complained about the people that kept coming in. And they just were thinking, you know, I'm an A-plus player. These guys are getting in my way. But they were complaining all day long that they actually missed an opportunity for them to invest in these new workers that were coming in and, and, and maybe encouraging them and, and really seeing and catching on to the master's generosity. But you know what really kind of made them upset wasn't that they were all paid the same, but it's what we see in verse 12. It says this, you've made them what? Equal to us. They were made equal to them. You're thinking, what is this, like third grade recess? Is everyone get a trophy? Everyone gets a trophy for just participating? Well, that's messed up. It's like you get a trophy and you get a trophy. You showed up, you get a trophy too. Yeah, you know, I remember once, you know, I was in karate class, right? Because I, I wanted to be Chuck Norris, right? Did you know that when Chuck Norris does a push-up, he actually pushes the world down rather than push his body up? See, that's, that's the direction I was heading in. So I'm in karate class, right? And I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm learning karate, and, and I'm working on this thing called a form. So a form is like, you, it's like, a, it's like a choreographed like, fight move, right? So I'm chopping stuff, and I'm kicking stuff, and I'm, you know, doing all my karate things. And, and I've been working on this thing for three months. And, man, this is good, right? Like, this is, this is, like, amazing. Like, this is, like, you know, people are like, oh, my gosh, you're like Bruce Lee and, you know, all that stuff. So that's how good it was. And so I'm getting ready for the tournament, right? And, and, I, and I'm pumped, and, and I'm ready to participate and ready to compete. And so I'm doing my form, and I'm killing it, right? I'm killing it left and right. Not literally, because that would be bad. I wouldn't be here if I was actually killing people. But, but I'm doing really well. Things are going great. And I'm thinking, I, I think I got this. I think I got first place. And so I, I get up there, and there's other guys are there with me. And, and so the judges say, you know what, we're so glad you guys all came today. We're so glad you participated. All of you get first place, right? Which means no one gets first place. And I'm like, oh, this stinks. I'm never putting that amount of work or time into anything like that again, ever. But, but that's kind of the mentality, right? It's like, why would you want to work harder if everyone's going to get the same? And that's the thing with grace. We sometimes take that same kind of mentality with God. It's like, you know, God, I expect that if I work really hard, if I serve you with everything I got, then I'm going to get some perks. I'm going to get some benefits. But we forget that grace cannot be earned, only received. Grace isn't a paycheck that we get if we do all the right things, say all the right things in the right ways. In fact, I love what Philip Yancey says in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. He says, grace means there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. 
and nothing I can do to make God love me less. Just pause for a second and let that kind of really sink in. There's nothing you can do that will make God love you more or make God love you less. So think about this. You could stop reading your Bible. You could stop coming to church. You could stop resisting sin, give in to every temptation that comes your way. And God would still radically, generously love you. Radically and generously accept you. Now, his heart would be broken. You would feel distant from God, and you probably would not fulfill your potential, but his love for you would not change. There's nothing you could do that is so bad or so good to make God either receive you or reject you. It's simply the gift that he gives you. And so I, I think when we really understand this idea of grace, it can be really kind of jarring. That's why I think it's a lot easier to kind of understand karma rather than grace and even prefer that to, that to, to grace. Now, karma, I hear people in church and, and even in culture talking about this idea of karma, but karma is it's, it's the Buddhist belief that whatever you do comes back to you. If you do something good, something good will happen and vice versa. You know, the popular idea of karma goes like this. What goes around comes around. You know, you're going to get whatever you deserve. You know, so if you're a good person and you do good things and you're helpful for people, well, eventually all that good's going to come back to you, right? But if you're a bad person and you do awful, terrible things, you're manipulative and you're a jerk, well, that's going to come back to you too. And, and so oftentimes we kind of look at karma and grace as the same thing. But here's the deal. Karma is not grace and grace is not karma. Karma is not grace. Grace is not karma. You see, karma still functions as the law of earning. But grace cannot be earned, only received, right? See, karma says you owe a debt to the universe. Grace says Jesus has already paid for your debt on the cross. Karma is about getting what you put out. Grace is all about getting what you don't even deserve. Karma is about fairness. Grace is about mercy. Karma is about living according to the punch clock. And the thing is, we can never not stop being clocked in because karma is always taking a tally of what we owe. But grace says our time cards are no good. Our time cards are no good because there's nothing we can do to deserve what God has already given us so freely and so with, with all mercy. See, w in that sense, we have to come to this understanding that grace, again, cannot be earned, only received. And we kind of have that understanding. We have this idea that, you know, grace is not a paycheck that we earn. It's a gift. It's not a salary. It's something that we can freely receive from God. And when we can get that understanding, it literally changes the way we relate to God. Because we no longer see God as our employer, right? God's not our boss that's looking to yell at you, looking to put you on notice. He's not an uptight teacher. He's not an abusive parent. He's actually a good, good father who's focused in on you, who's present with you, who's kind with you, who understands you and maybe others don't even understand you, or you don't even understand yourself. That's the kind of father he is. I remember when my daughter was first born, and I was holding her in my arms for the first time, and I made this decision right then and there that, you know what, no matter what, I'm going to love this little girl. No matter what she says, no matter what she does, because she's mine. So I'm going to love her. That's the choice I've made. And that's the same choice that God makes when he offers you grace. He will love you no matter what. No matter what you've done or haven't done, he's given it to you freely. And see, when we realize that it's not about us, it's not about our earning, it's not about what we do or about the time we put in, 
it can radically transform us. It says this in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is what? The gift of God. So that no, not by works. So that what? No one can boast. See, it's not about boasting. Because there's nothing we could have done to make God love us more or to love us less. It's a gift that we receive if we choose to. And so one day, if you imagine this, you'll be standing before God. And maybe God will ask you, why should I let you into heaven? Why should I let you into heaven? And so you have your time card with you. And you're thinking, well, well, God, I'm a good person. I did good things. And so good things should be coming my way. God's going to say, that's the wrong answer. And you're thinking, oh, well, well, well God, I, I was a Christian. I went to church uh, almost every week. I missed a couple weeks. That's not the right answer. Well, uh, you know, I went to life group and I was a tither. You know, I even gave it to saturate God. See? See, it's on here. It's not the right answer. Well, I mean... God, I came to a service. I served. I mean, I was served. I was faithful. I mean, what, what else is there? It's not the right answer. Is it, is it because of what Jesus has done for me? Is it because he died on the cross in my place, and now I can have a relationship with him? And that's where God's going to say, yes, well done, good and faithful servant. You want to know why? Because no one can boast. No one has a place where you can boast and say, look what I did. I performed my way. I worked my way. I earned my way to God's approval. I simply received. See, God's not asking you to hide your junk. He's asking you to bring it all out, the good, the bad, the ugly, and say, God, I surrender all this to you. I can never perform well enough. I can never fake it till I make it with your kingdom. I simply can only receive the goodness that you've given us. But you see, the performance pathogen isn't something that we can fight on our own. We literally need God's grace to catch us when we find ourselves performing and earning our way to God's love and his acceptance. We simply need to receive it. We need a radical prescription to bring the cure into our lives. So I want to look at three prescriptions that we see in this passage. So if you have your notes, you can go ahead and, and kind of follow along with me. There's three prescriptions that's going to help us, again, fight the performance pathogen. The first is this, is we need a daily dose of grace daily dose of grace. You know, grace is a lot like a shower. We need to do it every day. Some of you are like, really? <laughs> Tell the person next to you, you need to shower every day. And then I see some of you moving, moving away. Okay, that's good. That's good reinforcement. But, you know, we need grace every day because really, the, at the end of the day, we forget. We sometimes start to kind of fall back into our normal ways and, and, and trusting in ourselves. But really, we need to kind of fall into this idea that God is the one that gives us the grace to change us and to transform us. You know, I remember, uh, you know, my wife just started working this past fall. She's a teacher, and so, you know, my role is to kind of get the kids ready in the morning. And so my, my, my daughter, you know, she's five. You know, I had, I had that moment with her where, you know, I love you so much, except when you're getting ready in the morning. You know, that's kind of how it's playing out, right? So, you know, I'm getting her up in the morning. I literally have to, like, peel her off of her bed because she's like, Daddy, I'm so tired. I'm like, you're five. How are you tired, right? But she's tired. And, and so, you know, there's this, like, battle going on between her and I, between getting her, get, getting the clothes on her and eating. I feel like I channel Bobby Knight, you know, that college basketball coach, you know, where he's, like, you know, throwing chairs. I'm like, it's time. You've got to eat. It's like, I don't want to eat. You know, it's like this battle that's going on and on. And, and she's whining and she's complaining. And, you know, you know I get her clothes on and She's eating breakfast. I don't get to brush her hair, so she's like, you know, in different angles, right? And she's, but she's going out the door. She's, she's, she's alive, and she's, she's sort of happy, you know? And so I'm, you know, and then, and then I go and have my time with God, my daily dose of grace, and I'm sitting with God, and I'm just going, 
Lord, that was a rough one. And God's like, yeah. Now, do you ever whine and complain to me? No, well, that's different, God. You know, I'm, I'm a 34-year-old man, so that, that, that's what we call prayer requests. And so, <laughs> so I'm having this moment with God. He says, well, I think you might need to show your daughter some grace. You know, give her some space. So she's kind of adjusting to this new schedule. And, and I was like, you're right, God. You're right, God. I, and, you know, when I'm with the Lord and spend that time with him, I get that reminder, but also this fresh empowerment. You see, when I receive God's grace and just realize that, you know what? I'm a screw-up just like everyone else. It changes me. And it enables me to freely give grace to others, to give grace freely. Because that can always be the toughest part. You know, I remember there was a time where, um, where I had a friend of mine, and I was really struggling because I really experienced a, a betrayal from him. Where, on the one hand, you'd tell me one thing, and it'd be very encouraging, very positive. But then, behind my back, he'd be telling people other things, more negative, kind of stabbing me in the back, making himself look good, making me look, you know, bad. And I remember finding out about it, just feeling completely devastated, and just angry, and just hurt, and bitter. Just thinking, you know, I want nothing to do with this guy. I, you know, I trusted him. You know, I thought he was a friend, but clearly he wasn't. And just really felt angry about it. And, you know, as I was kind of wrestling through this and processing through this, uh, you know, having my daily dose of grace with God, I remember God just asked me, well, Nathan, have, have you ever done that with anybody? Have you ever talked badly behind their back or gossiped or slandered? And, of course, my response, well, God, that's different. You know, it's, uh, you know, I was working through some things. I was immature in my faith. I was processing, you know. I was processing. And so... I remember the Lord said this. He said, you know, Nathan, it's funny. You show forgiveness and grace to yourself a lot more easily than you give it to others. I remember thinking, ooh, you're right, God. And in that moment when I agreed with God, it's like the bitterness left. And I was able to have grace with this guy. And I was able to love him again. And I was even was able to say, you know, maybe I need to think about what, what's, what's it like in his shoes right now? What are the things that he's struggling with that's making him do, do what he does? And I remember just feeling that sense of forgiveness wash over me. See, for many of us, you know, there's people in our lives that we've cut off. They've done some awful things to us, and they're terrible things. And we've said we're never going to forgive. We're never going to let them off the hook. We're going to stay bitter and angry. But really what happens is that destroys us from the inside out. When you receive a daily dose of grace, God's grace changes our hearts, and it enables you to show grace and forgiveness to others so that you can become the man or the woman that God has made you to be. Because when you and I are able to give grace freely, we come to this place where we know that, you know what, it's not about us. In fact, God has created us a greater capacity to love others so that we can share it with others. And really, we can kind of spend time with those that are last in line. Spend time with those that are last in line. See, in the story of the vineyard, I almost wonder if it could have been told differently. If those guys that clocked in at 6 a.m. had saw this group coming in at 5 what if their attitude was, you know, these guys, they're struggling. There's stuff going on in their lives. Maybe what we could do is we can come alongside of them. We could show them how to work hard. We could show them how to collect the grapes and how to really work in the vineyard. We can come alongside them and cheerlead them. I wonder if that would have changed some things for them, if they would have participated in the master's generosity. See, in, in the same way, one of the things that, you know, we're looking here at Liquid is we've had 680 new Christ followers since Easter. And for some of you, that's you here. You just started this relationship with Christ, and you're trying to figure this Jesus thing out. 
It's kind of new, and you're like, I don't know what the steps are. And obviously, you know, we tell you we want you to get into a group. And one of the things that we are looking for is we're looking for more group leaders. You know, you saw that in the building blocks uh, commercial that we just had. And that's the biggest thing, is that we need those of you who have been maturing in Christ, you know, like a fine wine, to come alongside these new believers, to help them take that next step of the faith, to answer their questions, to encourage them when they struggle. Because in many ways, there's a lot they just don't know. In fact, I was with a, a new believer the other day, and, you know, we're in the midst of our RTD series we were talking about. She's like, you know, Nathan, I'm so excited that we're doing this series, RTD, because the only thing I've ever known about Christians in church is what I've watched on South Park. And so this, this is so different. It's so much better. And I go, yeah, we need to get you in a life group fast, you know. And so, you know, and that's the thing. There's so many people that just don't know. But you know so much and that you can help them. That you've experienced God's amazing grace. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's transformed you, right? And it's still transforming you. And as it transforms you and it informs you, we need you to come alongside this next generation of Christ followers to help take them into their next level of walking with Jesus. So I'm going to throw this up there again. It's April 23rd, I think from 9 to 2.30. If you are interested in looking, learning more about being a life group leader, in your notes we have a link on there so that you can go ahead and take a look at it if you're interested in doing this, because we need you. We need you. We need you to be the, the vineyard workers that have been there since 6 a.m., but you're participating in the master's joy because you know it ain't about you, right? It's not about you. It's not about your performance. It's about what he has done for you and that we can kind of pass that on to the next generation. See, sometimes we look at Christianity as a religion, or it's got all these rules and regulations and rituals, but really it's not about that. It's about a love affair. It's a love affair between God and his people. A God who sent his son to die in our place so that we could have relationships, so that we could have eternity. It's more than just heaven. It's an entire new way of seeing the world that we live in. And we get to participate in that amazing grace. For some of you today, we need that reminder that God has saved us radically so that we can be participating in the master's generosity and share that with others. For some of you here, you're hearing this for the first time. You're like, what, what, do, I, what do I do with this? You know, I've been struggling with bitterness and, and, and pride. What, what do I do next? And simply, it's just simply let God's grace wash over you. Let God's grace transform you. Let God's grace reinforce and inform your hearts to know that you've been radically saved and part of his mission to bring that love and generosity to the world around you. So there's only one response, and that's to worship. Amen? And so in a moment, we're going to have the band come up, and we're going to worship this God who's given us this amazing grace. You know, after the service, we'll have the spiritual care team up here for prayer, but we need to come into his presence to transform us from the inside out. Would you stand with me? As we're about to go into this time of worship to celebrate God's amazing grace. So Spirit of God, we invite you to come down right now. You have transformed many of us in this room. You've matured us and are maturing us and growing us so that we can be... uh, conduits of your grace to the world around us. Father, there's, there's many that, again, don't know you. They're just starting that journey, God. Would you bless them? Would you give them a fresh filling of grace right now? Because this is something we can celebrate and say, God, thank you so much for your grace. I don't have to perform. I can just receive. Uh, there's nothing I need to do. There's no song and dance. I simply just need to say, yes, God. I'll take all that you have from me. So in this time of worship, Lord, would you just wash over us, remind us, and give us a fresh helping, a fresh dose 
of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.